Section 7 of Reincarnation A Study in Human Evolution by Theophile Pascal This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reincarnation and the Religious and Philosophic Census of the Ages, Part 2 The Celts Sacerdotal India, and perhaps also Atlantis in early times sent pioneers into the west to spread religious teachings amongst their energetic inhabitants those who settled in gaul and the british isles were the druids i am a serpent a druid they said this sentence proved that they were priests and also the atlantean or indian origin of their doctrines for the serpent was the symbol of initiation in the sacred mysteries of india as also on the continent of atlantis we know little of their teaching which was entirely oral though it covered so much ground that according to caesar not less than thirty years of study were needed to become a druid the roman conquest dispersed them by degrees then it was that their disciples the bards committed to writing more or less imperfect and mutilated fragments of the teachings of their masters their triads are undoubtedly akin to hindu teachings evolution results from the manifestation of the absolute it culminates in man who possesses a maximum of individualization and terminates in the personal conscious union of the beings thus created with the ineffable all the absolute is cugant manifestation or the universe is abred the divine state of freed souls is in winived these are the three circles in Cugant there is only the unknowable, the rootless root. Souls are born and developed in Abred, passing into the different kingdoms. Amwan is the state through which beings pass only once, which means that the I, when once gained, continues forever. Gwynvid is the world of perfect and liberated souls, eternal heaven, great nirvana. During this long pilgrimage, the monad, the divine fragment in a state of incarnation, undergoes an endless number of rebirths in myriads of bodies. I have been a viper in the lake, said Taliesin the bard, a spotted adder on the mountain, a star, a priest. This was long, long ago. Since then, I have slept in a hundred worlds, revolved in a hundred circles. It was their faith in rebirth that gave the Gauls their indomitable courage and extraordinary contempt of death. One of their principal teachings, said Caesar, is that the soul does not die, but passes at death into another body. And this they regard as very favorable for the encouragement of valor and for inculcating scorn of death. Up to a few years ago, belief in the return of the soul to earth was still prevalent in those parts of Brittany, in which civilization had not yet exercised its skeptical, materializing influence. There even existed druids, probably degenerate ones, in Great Britain and France. In the Sonyewa district, they seem to have been called the adepts of the white religion. Both in them and their ancestors, belief in rebirth remained unshakable. Ancient Greece, Magna Graecia in Greece, the doctrine of rebirths is met with in the Orphic tradition, continued by Pythagoras and Plato. Up to the present time, this tradition has probably found its best interpreter in Mr. G. R. S. Mead, 
an eminent theosophist and a scholar of the first rank. We recommend our readers to study his Orpheus, if they desire a detailed account of this tradition. Its origins are lost in antiquity, only a few obscure shreds remaining. Faris cites, however, when speaking of the immortality of the soul, refers to the doctrine of rebirths. It is also presented very clearly by both Pythagoras and Plato. According to the Pythagorean teaching, the human soul emanates from the soul of the world, thus affirming, at the outset, a divine nature of the former. It teaches subsequently that this soul assumes successive bodies until it has fully evolved and completed the cycle of necessity. Pythagoras, according to Diogenes of Latrius, was the first in Greece to teach the doctrine of the return of souls to earth. He gave his disciples various details of his past lives. He appears to have been the initiate Ethelides in the times of the Argonauts. Then almost immediately afterwards, Euphorbus, who was slain by Menelaus at the siege of Troy. Again he was Hermotimus of Clazomene, who, in the temple of Juno at Argos, recognized the shield he was carrying when his body was slain as Euphorbus, and which Menelaus had given as an offering to the goddess. At a later date he was Pyrrhus, a fisherman of Delos, and finally Pythagoras. In all likelihood this genealogy is not correct in every detail. It comes to us from the disciples of the sage of Samos, who were not very trustworthy in their reports. Empedocles, one of the early disciples of Pythagoras, said that he inhabited a female body in his preceding existence. St. Clement of Alexandria quotes a few lines of his, in which we find the philosopher of Agrigentum teaching the general evolution of forms. I, too, have been a boy, a maiden, a star, a bird, a mute fish in the depths of the sea. Iarchus, the Brahmin chieftain, said to the great Apollonius, In bygone ages thou wert Ganga, the famous monarch, and at a later date captain of an Egyptian vessel. The Emperor Julian said that he had been Alexander the Great. Proclus affirmed that he had been Nicomachus the Pythagorean. The works of Plato are full of the idea of rebirth, and if the scattered fragments of the teaching are gathered together and illumined with the torch of theosophy, a very satisfactory ensemble will be the result. Souls are older than bodies, he says in Phaedo. They are ever being born again from Hades and returning to life on earth. Each man has his diamond, who follows him throughout his existences, and at death takes him to the lower world for judgment. Many souls enter Archron, and after a longer or shorter period, return to earth to be incarnated in new bodies. Unpardonable sins fling the soul into Tartarus. Know that if you become worse, you will go to the worse souls, or if better, to the better, and in every succession of life and death you will do and suffer what like may filthy suffer at the hands of like. According to Plato, the period between two incarnations is about a thousand years. Man has reminiscences of his past lives that are more or less distinct. They are manifested rather by an intuitive impression than by a definite memory, but they form part of the individual, and at times influence him strongly. 
innate ideas are only one aspect of memory often it is impossible to explain them by heredity education or environment they are attainments of the past the store which the soul takes with it through its incarnations which it adds to during each sojourn in heaven there can be no doubt that plato would appear to have taught metempsychosis i e the possibility of a human soul passing into the body of an animal men who have followed after gluttony and wantonness and drunkenness and have had no thought of avoiding them would pass into asses and animals of that sort and those who have chosen the portion of injustice and tyranny and violence will pass into wolves or hawks or kites and there is no difficulty in assigning to all of them places according to their several natures and propensities under the heading of neoplatonism we shall show that beneath these core symbols plato concealed truths which it was then necessary to keep profoundly secret which even nowadays is not permitted to reveal at all old testament h p blavatsky tells us that the old testament is not a homogeneous composition that genesis alone is of immense antiquity that it is prior to the time when the libra of the zodiac was invented by the greeks for it has been noticed that the chapters containing the genealogies have been touched up so as to adapt them to the new zodiac and this is the reason that the rabbis who compiled them twice repeated the names of enoch and lamech in the cain list the other parts seem to be of comparatively recent date and to have been completed about one hundred and fifty b c the first part of the book of god as the scriptures were then called was written by hilkiah jointly with the prophetess Hulda. this disappeared at a later date and Ezra had to begin a new one, which was finished by Judas Maccabeus. This was recopied some time after, with the object of changing the pointed letters into square ones, and in this way was quite disfigured. The Masoretes ended by mutilating it completely. The result is that the text we now possess is one not more than nine hundred years old, bristling with premeditated omissions interpolations and perverted interpretations by the side of this initial difficulty we find another quite as important almost every page of the old testament contains veiled meanings and allegories as is frankly confessed by the rabbis themselves we ought not to take literally that which is written in the story of creation nor entertain the same ideas of it as are held by the vulgar if it were otherwise, our ancient sages would not have taken so much pains to conceal the sense, and to keep before the eyes of the uninstructed the veil of allegory which conceals the truth it contains. Does not St. Paul, speaking of the hidden meaning of the Bible, say that Agar is Mount Sinai? Origen and St. Augustine are of the opinion that the Old Testament must be regarded as symbolical, as otherwise it would be immoral the jewish law forbade any one to read it who had not attained the age of thirty years felon would have liked it to be thrust away in the recesses of the most secret libraries the cardinal de noailles says that origen so full of zeal on behalf of the holy scriptures would not allow any one to read the old testament unless he were firmly anchored in the practice of a virtuous life 
he affirms too that saint basilius in a letter to chilon the monk stated that the reading of it often had a harmful influence for the same reasons the index expurgatorius forbids the publication of the bible in the vulgar tongue and orders that no one be allowed to read it without the written permission of his confessor a third difficulty arises from the fact that the old testament its dead letter and its commandments at all events is no longer suitable to our own race it was intended for a nation that was composed of young souls at a low stage of evolution for whom nothing more than the rudiments of instruction were necessary and on whom stern rules of morality suitable for advanced souls ought not to be imposed this was why divorce polygamy slavery retaliation lex talionis the blood sacrifice are instituted it is the reason god is represented as a being to be dreaded punishing those who do not obey him wicked jealous bloodthirsty bossuet understood all this when he said that the primitive hebrew race was not sufficiently advanced to have the immortality of the soul taught to it this too is the only explanation we can find for the sensual materialism of ecclesiastes consequently one not need be astonished to find that the old testament nowhere deals directly at all events with the doctrine of rebirth all the same here and there we come across a few passages that point in this direction for instance we read in genesis chapter twenty five regarding the birth of jacob and esau and the children of rebekah struggled together within her and the lord said unto her two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled behold there were twins in her womb this passage has been the occasion of lengthy commentaries on the part of certain fathers of the church more especially of origin indeed either we must acknowledge divine injustice creating without any cause two hostile brothers one of whom must submit to the rule of the other and who begin to strive together even before birth or we must hark back to the pre-existence of the human soul and to a past karma which had created inequality in condition david begins the nineteenth psalm with a verse which only a belief in reincarnation can explain lord thou hast been our dwelling-place in all generations the dwelling-place of the soul at death is in heaven whence it returns to earth when the hour of rebirth is struck thus in all generations that is from life to life the lord is our dwelling-place in chapter eight of the book of wisdom solomon says in more explicit language for i was a witty child and had a good spirit yea rather being good i came into a body undefiled this clearly points to the pre-existence of the soul and the close relation that exists between the conditions of its rebirth and the merits or demerits of its past verse five of the first chapter of jeremiah is similar to verse twenty three of the twenty-fifth chapter of genesis before i formed thee in the belly i knew thee and before thou comest forth out of the womb i sanctified thee and i adorned thee a prophet unto the nations 
It is the deeds done in the past lives of Jeremiah that accompany him on his return to earth. God could not, in an arbitrary fashion, have conferred on him the gift of prophecy had he not acquired it by his efforts in a past life. Unless here, too, we altogether abandon reason and go back to a capricious or unjust, consequently altogether impossible, God. THE Kabbalah. Contact with the Babylonians during the captivity brought about a rapid development in the Hebrews, who were at that time far more advanced souls than those that animated the bodies of their fathers, and taught them many important details of religious instruction. It was then that they learned the doctrine of rebirth, and that the Kabbalah came into being. In it the cycle of rebirths is called Gilgulam, or the revolving of the incorporeal, in search of the promised land. This promised land, the Christian paradise, or Buddhist nirvana, was symbolized by Palestine. The soul in its pilgrimage was brought to this abode of bliss, and, according to the allegory, the bodies of Hebrews buried in a foreign land contained an animistic principle which only found rest when, by the revolving of the incorporeal, the immortal fragment had returned to the promised land. There are other aspects from which this revolution of souls may be regarded. Certain Kabbalists speak of it as a kind of purgatory in which, by means of this revolving, the purging of the soul is brought about before it enters paradise. In this connection, H. P. Blavatsky states that in the language of the initiates the words soul, ame, and atom were synonyms, and were frequently used for each other. She says that the revolution of souls was in reality only the revolving of the atoms of the bodies which are continually transmigrating from one body to another throughout the various kingdoms of nature. From this point of view it would seem that Gilgulam is more especially the cycle of atomic transmigration, resurrection. The doctrine of reincarnation of the human soul, however, is clearly set forth in the Zohar. All souls are subjected to the tests of transmigration. Men know not the designs of the Most High with regard to them. They know not how they are being at all times judged both before coming into this world and when they leave it. They have no knowledge of the mysterious transformations and sufferings they must undergo, or how numerous are the spirits who, coming into this world, never return to the palace of their divine king. They are ignorant of the revolutions to which they are subjected, revolutions similar to those of a stone when it is being hurled from a slain. And now the time has come when the veil shall be removed from all these mysteries. Souls must in the end be plunged back into the substance from which they came. But before this happens, they must have developed all the perfections the germs of which are implanted within them. If these conditions are not realized in one existence, they must be born again until they reach the stage that makes possible their absorption in God. According to the Kabbalah, Incarnations take place at long intervals. Souls completely forget their past, and, far from being a punishment, rebirth is a blessing which enables men to develop and to attain to their final goal. The Essenes taught reincarnation and the immortality of the soul. Ernst von Bunsen, speaking of this sect, says, 
another marked peculiarity of the doctrine of the essenes was the doctrine concerning the pre-existence of souls they exist originally in the purest ether which is their celestial home by a natural attraction they are drawn towards the earth and are enclosed in human bodies as in a prison the death of the body causes the return of the soul to its heavenly abode the essenes can therefore not have believed in the resurrection of the body but of the soul only or as paul says of the spiritual body this is positively asserted by josephus rome although rome above all else was a warlike republic and religion principally a state cult that allowed but slight opportunity for the outer expression of spirituality none the less did it inherit the beliefs of egypt greece and persia the bacchic mysteries previous to their degradation were a copy of the orphic and eleusinian mysteries in the reign of pompey mithraism a cult borrowed from persia was widespread throughout the empire consequently we need not be surprised at finding the doctrine of rebirth mentioned by the great latin writers we will quote only from virgil and ovid in the speech addressed by anchises to aeneas his son the trojan prince deals with the life beyond death the tortures endured by souls in expiation of their misdeeds their purification their passing into tartarus into the elysian fields then their return to earth after having drunk the river of forgetfulness in book six of the aeneid we find aeneas visiting the lower regions after having for a thousand years turned the wheel of existence these souls come forth in a mighty troop to the lethean stream to which god calls them that they may lose the memory of the past see the higher regions and begin to wish to return into bodies ovid in his metamorphosis also deals with the teaching of pythagoras his master on the subject of palingenesis then death so called is but old matter dressed in some new figure and varied vest thus all things are but altered nothing dies and here and there the embodied spirit flies by time or force or sickness dispossessed and lodges when it lights in man or beast the immortal soul flies out in empty space to seek her fortune in some other place new testament the new testament is far more explicit than the old even though we find the teachings of reincarnation indicated in only a vague indirect fashion all the same it must not be forgotten that the conical gospels have suffered numerous suppressions and interpolations on the other hand there can be no doubt that the early fathers of the church made use of gospels that are now either lost or have become apocryphal it has been proved that neither jesus nor his disciples wrote a single word and that no version of the gospels appeared earlier than the second century it was at that time that religious quarrels gave birth to hundreds of gospels the writers of which signed them with the name of an apostle or even with that of jesus after forging them in more or less intelligent fashion celsus jordan gibbons and others have shown that christianity is directly descended from paganism 
it was by combining the doctrines of egypt persia and greece with the teachings of jesus that the christian doctrine was built up celsus silenced all the christian doctors of his time by supplying evidence of this plagiarism origen the most learned doctor of the age was his opponent but he was no more fortunate than the rest and celsus came off victorious thereupon recourse was had to the method usual in those days his books were burnt and yet it is evident that the author of revelation was a cabalist and the writer of the gospel of st john a gnostic or a neoplatonist the gospel of nicodemus is scarcely more than a copy of the descent of hercules into the infernal regions the epistle to the corinthians is a distinct reminiscence of the initiatory mysteries of eleusius and the roman ritual according to h p blavatsky is the reproduction of the cabalistic ritual one gospel only was authentic the secret or hebrew gospel of matthew which was used by the nazarians and at a later date by st justin and the ebionites it contained the esotericism of the one religion and st jerome who found this gospel in the library of caesarea about the end of the fourth century says that he received permission to translate it from the nazarenes of Beroria. these considerations prove that interested and narrow-minded writers selected from the mass of existing traditions whatever seemed to them of a nature to support their spiritual views as well as their material interests and that they constructed therefrom not only what has come down to us as the four conical gospels but also the whole edifice of christian dogma consequently we need not be surprised to find in the new testament only unimportant fragments dealing with reincarnation but even these are not to be despised for they prove that the doctrine was to a certain extent at all events known and accepted in palestine reincarnation in the gospels saint mark chapter six verse fourteen and king herod heard of him and he said that john the baptist was risen from the dead verse fifteen others said that it is elias and others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets verse sixteen but when herod heard thereof he said it is john whom i beheaded he is risen from the dead matthew chapter fourteen verse one at that time herod the tetrarch heard of the fame of jesus verse two and said unto his servants this is john the baptist he is risen from the dead st luke chapter nine verse seven now herod the tetrarch heard of all that was done by him and he was perplexed because it was said of some that john was risen from the dead verse eight and some that elias had appeared and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again verse nine but herod said john i have beheaded but who is this of whom i hear such things the account here given proves that the people as well as herod believed in reincarnation and that it applied at all events to prophets and to those like them st matthew chapter sixteen verse thirteen when jesus came into the coasts of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples saying 
Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The same account is given in St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 18, 19. St. Matthew, chapter 17, verse 12. But I say unto you, that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Verse 13. The disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. He continued in St. Matthew, chapter 11. Verse 7. Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? Verse 8. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold that they wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Verse 9. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Verse 14. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias for which was for to come. Here we have a distinct declaration. Reincarnation is a fact. John is the rebirth of Elias. Judging from these texts, one might be tempted to think that reincarnation was confined to the prophets or to people of importance. But St. John shows us that the Jews, though perhaps ignorant that it was a law of universal application, recognized at any rate that it might happen in the case of any man. St. John, chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Here we are dealing with a man blind from birth, and the Jews asked Jesus if he was blind because he sinned. This clearly indicates that they were referring to sins committed in the course of a former existence. The thought is therefore quite a natural, straightforward one, referring to something well known to everyone and needing no explanation. As one well acquainted with this doctrine of rebirth, without combating it as an error or as something doubtful which his disciples ought not to believe, Jesus simply replies, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. And yet it appears as though this answer must have been distorted, as so many others have been. Otherwise it would mean that the only reason for this man's blindness was the caprice of the deity. End of section 7